The Sons of Liberty is a politically neutral organization. We believe that the Judeo-Christian ethic has provided the principles upon which this nation was founded. It is our belief that these principles provide not only the foundation and framework for American government and society, but are also essential to the maintenance of a fair and just society. All program content is based on a Christian biblical worldview. One of you said to me recently, we shouldn't rock the boat. Well, ladies and gentlemen, I want to tell you that I am a boat Good day, America. Welcome Christians, conservatives, constitutionalists, liberals, libertarians, communists, Islamists, LGBTQ, RSTV, WXYZ people. All the boat rockers are in the house and anybody else I may have missed to the Sons of Liberty radio show here on Red State Talk Radio, where we use the Bible and the Constitution not to see who's on the right or the left, but who is on the straight and narrow. I'm your host, Tim Brown, coming to you live from the U.S. occupied state of South Carolina, the editor at SonsOfLibertyMedia.com. And for Muslim friends, I'm the infidel that Allah warned about. I hold to the book, the Bible as the authoritative word of God. Glad that you guys have joined us this morning. If you'd like to check us out online, please do so. SonsOfLibertyRadio.com and also SonsOfLibertyMedia.com. In fact, if you're listening by way of Red State Talk Radio and you want to watch the video portion of the radio show, that's right, you can see the face that's made for radio, head over to SonsOfLibertyMedia.com, and there you're going to see two videos at the top of the page. The one on the left is Bradley's show from yesterday, so if you missed that and you want to catch that, uh, you can do so up until 3 o'clock Eastern today, at which time he'll be live in that little area right there. And on the right side of the page is where we're at, Click on the play button, blow it up on whatever device you got, and then look for the Rumble icon in the bottom right-hand corner. Click on that, and you can join us in the chat on Rumble. We've got some friends over there. Good to see you guys this morning. And um, we're also streaming live to Rumble at Sons of Liberty Radio Live. That's the channel. Uh, so if you would like to subscribe to that, we'd appreciate your support in that. And also on BeforeIt'sNews.com, top of the page there. Thank you guys for giving us a spot there on that website as well. And then right up under where we're streaming live, you can sign up for our email newsletter. These go out once a day between 7 and 8 p.m. Eastern. All the articles from Sons of Liberty Radio or Sons of Liberty Media, excuse me, dot com, including the morning show archive. So you can get all of that if you sign up for the email. And then if you want our ministry email, you want to know what the Sons of Liberty are doing out among the people uh, each week, then go to Sons of Liberty Radio dot com. You can sign up for the email, which goes out once a week on Saturdays right there on the front page, and we appreciate your support in that. And then if you would like to keep us out there doing all the things that we do, there is a donate button at the top of sonsoflibertymedia.com. Click on that make a one-time donation, or you can partner with us monthly as a son or daughter of liberty, and we do appreciate you very much in the support that you give us. Now, I don't know what's going on. Uh, we have an interview scheduled for this morning with uh, Daniel Baker. She's known as the coerced nurse. And I don't know, we're probably going to have to reschedule this because she's not in and the guy that I set it up with is not answering. So <laughs> that's probably not unusual because it is 6 a.m. in the morning here. Uh, so for whatever it's worth, uh, we'll have to see about sorting that back out. Um, but yeah, I got several people that are lined up and I hope this is not a, a something of something that's to come to come here. So I do apologize for that. Uh, but we set these things up 
in order to you know bring you some information and some people who are doing some things. We're going to have some people on in the future here who are actually doing some things as far as you know what's going on with all of the shot stuff and everything. Uh, there is a there is a actually there's a couple of videos I wanted to play, but I, I was going to restrain myself just to one simply because. Uh, I wanted to kind of tie it in with what uh, Daniela's issue was. And that was, you know, she was coerced into taking a shot that uh, I think within two and a half weeks, it totally disabled her. And um, she's very fortunate it didn't take her life. Uh, but in God's providence, uh, she's still alive. So um, I'm going to save a lot of those. But what I will do is I'll let you know there's a lot of bonus material or bonus videos I don't cover a whole bunch of stories usually uh, at once. And um, yesterday was sort of an anomaly. We did three different stories in the show, but I don't do that. I throw the bonus videos of some interesting things that I find through the week uh, in with the archive. So if you miss the archive, you miss a lot of those bonus videos. This one is one, though, that I thought really interesting. And I wanted to ask Danielle what she thought about this. Uh, when she heard it. And this is a back and forth between the, I think it's the CEO of Moderna and Rand Paul. And I want you to listen to it. And I want you to tell me, because nobody knew anybody that had the convicts, right? For a long time, nobody knew anybody that had the convicts. And now people say they had the convicts and you go, well, how do you know? Well, the doctor told me. Yeah, but how do you know seeing that SARS-CoV-2 has never been proven to exist. So you, you, you have him coming here, and everybody knows somebody now who's been affected by the shot. They, they're dead, or they're sick, or something's going on in their family, whatever the case may be. And I want you to listen to one of the manufacturers here, Moderna, and I want you to listen, and you tell me if this doesn't make you mad enough to demand justice against this guy. Uh, recently paid NIH $400 million. Do you believe it creates a conflict of interest for the government employees who are making money now off of the vaccine to also be dictating the policy about how many times we have to take the vaccine? Good morning, Senator. Uh, indeed, we recently made, a, before Christmas last year, a $400 million payment to the NIH for uh, an old patent that they had developed, not related to COVID, but useful in the development of a COVID vaccine uh, to, to prevent for their work. Uh, it's for the U.S. government to assess how that money should be Do you think it creates a conflict of interest for the same people deciding the policy of how often we have to take the vaccine to also be making money the more times we take the vaccine? Yes it, or no? This is for the government to decide. Senator. You have no opinion on whether or not it creates a conflict of interest? <laughs> You have no opinion or whether there's a conflict of interest that you're giving $400 million in royalties to the NIH and you're going to sit there with a straight face and tell people, I don't have an opinion, it's for the government to decide. Or the reason you don't have an opinion, well, actually, you do have an opinion, you just won't voice it. You think it's just fine because the more times they mandate it, the more money you're going to make. And that they're going to take from you, or you're going to give them as well. And there's royalty payments. It's absolutely incredible. And people are being destroyed. Their lives are being destroyed. Many of them have lost their lives. And yet this guy sits there with a straight face in front of Congress and says, 
I don't have an opinion. It's not my to done to done determine. I, I you check the government. I don't know why these guys haven't been arrested. It's clear what their product is doing. It's harming people. And any other product, it could be some aspirin. Listen, anybody remember when was it? Back in the 80s? The Tylenol scare? A couple of people died from some bad bottles of Tylenol. Tylenol. They pulled it all from the shelf. Nobody bought Tylenol. And then there was some other products down the road. You know, a couple of people had a problem. They pulled it all. They recalled all of it. And you've heard the stories of how we've tested different things on animals. And I want to tell you, I'm convinced now there is no reason why we should be testing squat on animals. Any of it's animal cruelty. You don't see any of that going on in the Bible. Matter of fact, we're told we take care of our animals, right? A righteous man does that. An unrighteous man doesn't. This animal testing is wrong. It's wrong to do. And yet, when we had a small number of beagles die, they stopped, the, they stopped what they were doing with it. They had people die, they stopped what they were doing. We have had tens of thousands of people, if not hundreds of thousands or millions, I don't, who knows what the numbers are, who have been either injured or killed from these shots. And all the companies are involved in it. It isn't just one. All of them have injuries that come from their shots. And yet, this guy from Moderna says, hey, it's okay. Don't worry about it. Um, I don't have an opinion as to whether we have a conflict of interest here or not. Uh, as far as I'm concerned, it's not really that big a deal. You know, We're just doing our job, and it's for the government to figure out whether there's a conflict of interest or not. Um, since we don't have our guest on today, uh, I'm going to go ahead and share one story with you, and then I want to take a passive scripture and go through that. Um, this is the latest pilot to being capacitated. This, by the way, this is the sixth one that's been reported on this month. This is just the ones that have been reported on. The sixth one in the month of March. Okay. This one happened. You remember <clears throat> last time I made mention of, of the pilots and the flight attendants, it was uh, one of the British airway pilots. He was going to be charting or piloting the um, Airbus A321. He died in his hotel room before he got on the plane. Lucky for the, or fortunate for the, uh, the people on the plane. This one is a pilot. He was piloting an air transit Airbus A321. And he was flying from Fort de France to Montreal, and they went over U.S. airspace, and it was at that time that he became incapacitated. Here's uh, what Simple Flying reported. On March 18th, an air transit Airbus A321 was flying from Fort de France to Montreal when the, first, uh, the aircraft's first officer became incapacitated. The incident occurred as the aircraft was flying over the United States 200 uh, nautical miles south of Montreal. According to the Aviation Herald, the March 18th incident took place aboard Air Transit Flight TS-739 and Airbus A321-200 service from Fort de France, capital of the French territory, to Martinique, to Montreal, Canada. The flight departed, took off at 1334, 
um, 34 minutes past its scheduled departure time. According to FlightRadar24.com, data reaching a cruising altitude of FL320. I don't know what that is. Uh, approximately 25 minutes after takeoff, the aircraft increased its cruising altitude, blah, 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 blah. And then um, they are told that the first officer reportedly became incapacitated. The Canadian Transportation Safety Board reported that a second officer was available on board and was thus able to replace the incapacitated first officer. Unfortunately, no additional details on the first officer's conditions were made available. And again, Dr. William Mackis, we've had him on the show. He was the, he's the uh, a doctor up in Canada who's been reporting on all the doctors who've taken the shots who have died. He's following this trend of the pilots becoming incapacitated, not just in Canada, but around the world. And, um, you know, his work is uh, very valuable in us knowing what's going on there. Now, with that said, one of the things I want to do is I want to come in here and uh, pick up uh, and I forgot to turn on our before it's news. I advertised that and then I forgot to turn them on over there. So let me turn them on and uh, we're good to go over there. What I want to do is I want to pick up this from where uh, a story that you're, you're familiar with or many of you would be familiar with. And that is Jesus feeding the 5,000, right? And it's, it's, pretty, it's pretty incredible that he can take in from a few fish and loaves, bypass the whole process of creation. In other words, growing the wheat, harvesting the wheat, wheat, separating the wheat, taking and grinding the wheat, making the bread, the dough, baking it. He can bypass that whole product and just bless the bread, and it becomes enough. Uh, a few small loaves and some fish become enough to feed at least 5,000 men. That's the count, 5,000 men. And then there's women and children there too. And do the same thing with the fish. Doesn't have to have mom and daddy fish, no fish eggs, you know, no growing up to be big fish so that you can use them for spread on your, on your bread. Because that's really the idea that's going on there is they use the fish sort of as the moisturizer for the bread, kind of like we do our condiments. And so Jesus does this to the people. He, he provides a meal for them after he's been teaching. Remember, he told the disciples, he said, give them something to eat. They said, we don't have anything. We need some money. We can go into town and stuff. But he says, no, you give them something to eat. And so he feeds them. And then the people want to follow Jesus for more bread and fish sticks. That's what, that's what they're after. Okay. So we come over to John chapter 6. By the way, John chapter 6, probably one of my most favorite passages because when I became a Christian, one of the things I was told by those that I was close to was how I should read the Gospel of John. That's where I should start reading. So I said, okay. And they said, you know, be mindful of your context and this and the other. And I got to tell you, there was a lot of stuff I didn't understand. I grew to understand it, but there were some things that seemed pretty doggone clear to me uh, that were said in this passage and that I identified with in my conversion. Um, so let's take a look at this passage here, and we're going to begin here in verse 24 of John chapter 6. If you guys have your Bibles, you want to look along, uh, that's great. Um, 
and I need to adjust my microphone here a little bit so I can see the screen. I wish I could like grab the screen and slide it to the side or something. But anyway, uh, we're good to go. Here's what, here's what we read here. When the people therefore saw that Jesus was not there, so they're, they're going looking for him again the next day, you know, after he's fed him and everything. When they saw that he was not there, neither his disciples, they also took shipping and came to Capernaum seeking for Jesus. And when they had found him on the other side of the sea, they said unto him, Rabbi, when camest thou hither? And Jesus answered them and said, Verily, verily, I say unto you, ye seek me not because you saw the miracles, but because you did eat of the loaves and were filled. Hmm. Labor not for the meat which perisheth, but for that meat which endureth unto, unto everlasting life, which the Son of Man shall give unto you, for him hath God the Father sealed. So what is he saying here? He's saying, guys, you're coming after me, and you're not even coming after me be because you saw the miracles that I did. You didn't come because I, I healed the lame or the deaf or the blind or the mute or dro drove out demons from people. You're not coming. You're coming after me because you're hungry. Your bellies are growling. Remember we talked about, I made mention of this uh, on the show with Kate, where God told the people that their God was their bellies. They, were indul they indulged themselves. Well, this is what Jesus is telling, telling them. And he says, you shouldn't be going after those things which perish. He says, but for the meat which endureth unto everlasting life, which the Son of Man shall give unto you, for him hath God the Father sealed. So this is something that he's going to elaborate on a little bit. So keep that in mind when he says, but for that meat which endureth unto everlasting life, which the Son of Man shall give unto you. Keep that in mind because he's going to reference eating his flesh and blood. Now, in the first century and such, a lot of Christians were, were termed as cannibals because they partook of the Lord's table, the bread and the wine. And people are saying, well, they're, they're eating flesh. And of course, if you want to go into the Roman Catholic system, that's in fact what they, that's what they promote. They promote a hocus-pocus cannibalism called transubstantiation, where actual bread and actual wine turn into real blood and real flesh of Jesus, which is kind of goofy because... He had a body. How 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 do you get past one of those one of those meals with all the Christians and still have some left? It's just a weird thing. Okay, it's a weird thing. So he tells them to labor for that. Go after that which is eternal, the spiritual food. Uh, I caught a little bit of Bradley's show, uh, not Bradley's show. Not sorry about that. That's not what it was. On Sunday, our pastor was speaking about the light. Uh, Matthew chapter 6, and there he's talking about the eye, and the eye being full of light, uh, or if it's full of darkness, how great is that darkness? So he's talking about the light, and in that passage, he's talking about the light of the Word of God, the light of the law of God, how it shows us our sin, how it shows us God's holiness, and how it communicates to us the good news of the gospel that we might be saved from our sin. Well, here he's, he's using a different metaphor. He's using food. 
So let's look at what else goes on. And he says here, then said they unto him, what shall we do that we might work the works of God? So they get a little bit of this. What are are we going to do so we can work the works of God? And Jesus answered and said unto them, this is the work of God that ye believe on him whom he hath sent. Now, who's he talking about? So good Sunday school answer. He's talking about himself, Jesus. That's who he's talking about. You believe the work of God is to believe on the Son. To believe on the Son. Now, let's clarify what we're talking about. We're not talking about, yeah, I believe there was a guy named Jesus. Yeah, I believe he's the Son of God. Yeah, I believe he was he died for sinners and he rose from the dead. We're talking about a belief that affects your life. It's not just another knowledge thing. Oh, yeah. Um, you know, President's Day is on whatever day. I don't even know these things. <laughs> Veterans Day or Martin Luther King Day or whatever. It's not like a fact that you store in your mind. You say, I believe on the Lord Jesus. That's not what it is. No, no, no. It's a recognition that he is who he said he was and is. And that you are who he says you are. And that you're in need of the very thing that he provides and he only can provide. And that is the forgiveness of sin and eternal life. That's what it means. And then as a result of that, it transforms you. And Paul says that we should be transformed by the renewing of our mind. How do we do that? Well, the Bible tells us, how can a young man cleanse his way? By taking heed thereto according to your word. And you remember we went through Jesus's prayer, the Lord, the real Lord's prayer in John chapter 17, where he prayed to the father, not that, that they wouldn't take him out of the, uh, he wouldn't take his, those he gave to Jesus out of the world, but he would sustain them. And he told them that they would be made holy. They, they would be made clean by the truth, right? And what did he say? The truth was thy word is truth. So the word of God is at the heart of everything that goes on here. So we go back to the text, and here's what we see. They said, therefore, unto him, when he told them, you're to believe on the one the Father has sent, what sign showest thou then that we may see and believe thee? What dost thou work? Our fathers did eat manna in the desert, as it is written. He gave them bread from heaven to eat. So you can see right off the bat, they've already seen miracles. They've already seen him do incredible things, things that nobody else has done. Raising the dead, giving sight to the blind, healing limbs that are withered, taking those who are lame and causing them to walk again, those who can't hear to be able to hear, those who can't speak to be able to speak. They've seen him do incredible things. And what's the, what's the thing they ask him for? Can you show us a sign? <laughs> Can you, th- that we may see and believe? It's like you've done it in their face. You've shown them and yet they don't believe, but they keep asking for another sign. It's very similar to the Pharisees of the day. They come and the Bible says they always come to tempt Jesus or to test him. And what happens? He confuses them because he questions them, to which they have no answer. 
And they're always saying, show us. Even at the cross, at his death, what are they doing? They're mocking him. He saved others. Let him save himself. If he's the Christ, let him come off the cross. Not understanding that it was the Christ who was to come, who was to die on the cross, who was to sacrifice himself. And so what do we see next? Well, they said, our fathers ate man in the desert. As is written, he gave them bread from heaven to eat. And Jesus responded to them. What did he say? He said unto them, verily, verily, I say unto you, Moses gave you not that bread from heaven. But my father giveth you the true bread from heaven. And he's talking about himself. So we've seen him reference meat. You need to labor for the meat, right? That's eternal. And then he says, my father has given you the true bread from heaven. For the bread of God is he which cometh down from heaven and giveth life unto the world. Now, this is important when you get to the part where he talks about eating his flesh, drinking his blood deal. Okay, It's not complicated. It's not cannibalism. It's not hard to understand. He's using metaphors here of food for himself. He is the meat. He is the bread that comes down from heaven. So even when you read about manna in the Old Testament, Jesus is tying it to himself that it is a picture of him sustaining his people. That's what it is. It's a picture of him sustaining his people. We go back to the passage and we read, Then said they unto him, verse 34, Lord, evermore give us this bread. This is an echo of the uh, the chick that that. that the Lord Jesus met at the well, the Samaritan woman, because she comes to the well, remember? She's coming there to get water, and Jesus tells her about her life, all the husbands that she had, and, she, and he says that the guy you're living with now is not your husband. And so this gets her attention, and he starts talking to her about water. And she says, Lord, give me this water. Where, where can we get this kind of water that I don't have to come back here to this well and draw again? And he says, no, it's living water. He's talking about himself. He's talking about himself. And then the woman goes back to her village and she goes, come see this guy. He's told me all things. He's told me all about my life. He knew everything about me. Come listen to what he has to say. Well, it's the same thing here. Lord, give us this bread. We don't have to come bother you anymore. It'll just be here all the time. We don't have to worry about our sustenance ever again. They got their mind on the physical rather than on what he's saying is their spiritual sustenance. So, verse 35, And Jesus said unto them, I am the bread of life. He that cometh to me shall never hunger, and he that believeth on me shall never thirst. Now, it's really interesting because over in Matthew, in the passage that, that we were looking in the Sermon on the Mount, he talks about, Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be what? Continuing their hunger and their thirst? Nope, they shall be filled. They shall be filled. And so here he says, I'm the bread of life. If you come to me, you're not going to be hungry. And he's not talking about food, like as in, you know, what we sit down and have dinner for. He's talking about filling them spiritually. Because he says, he that believeth on me 
shall never hunger or thirst. Either one. Now, how can that be? How can that be? The Bible uses references like this. It says, taste and see that the Lord is good, right? Taste and see. Well, are we supposed to stick out our tongue and taste a spirit? No, that's not what he's talking about. That's not what he's talking about. Devour his word. You know, we read in the book of Revelation, I think it's also in, in uh, Ezekiel, but we, we read where John goes and an angel gives him a little book. Remember that? It gives him a little book and the angel tells him to eat it. Now, it's obviously judgment, and John takes it and he eats it, and he said, it, it was sweet, then it was bitter. And one of the things that he does is, he's referencing how the Word of God is at times. Sometimes it is very, very sweet to us. It is encouraging to us. It lifts us up. It builds us up. And other times, it is bitter. It is corrective to us. It is that which, at times, brings judgment. It is that which chastises. And so, he says this about himself and about the bread of life, that I will fill you. You'll stop your search in all these spiritual things, and you'll find it in me. You'll find your completion in me. Verse 36, But I said unto you that ye also have seen me and believe not. Come on, guys. You've been, you've been following me. You've been eating the food that I produced. You've been seeing the miracles that are around. You've been hearing the teaching, and yet you don't believe. But you want bread and fish sticks from me. How many of you know people who are like that? Are you a person like that? You've heard about Jesus all your life. You've heard about how good he is. You've heard about the things he's done. You've seen people around you who testify to the fact that he's still working today in their lives, and you still remain in unbelief, saying, I need another sign. Please give me another sign. You know, the Bible says that there's a wicked and rebellious generation, that, a perverted generation that looks for a sign. I see a bunch of people doing that stuff. I believe Bradley spoke about the, um, you know, this key, this cornerstone for dispensationalism, the whole rapture cons concept, you know. Misunderstanding what the Great Tribulation is, misunderstanding Daniel chapter 9, misunderstanding all of these kinds of things, and uh, importing other stuff in it, and they say, oh, see, the sign of the times are here, the sign of the times are here, so the sign of the times are here. And yet, Jesus said, I'm going to give you one sign. It's the sign of Jonah. Right? How Jonah was three days in the fish, so shall the Son of Man be in the heart of the earth three days and three nights. Right? That's the sign he said that we were given. And yet today I see all kinds of people running around, oh, it's the sign of this, it's the sign of that. Not realizing that there are other things that have happened all throughout history, very similar to this. Kate kind of hit on it a little bit Saturday when she said, I look back in history and I see these things kind of repeating, and they're repeating sort of in a very similar playbook. Yeah. 
that's exactly what Bunyan said in Pilgrim's Progress. Same thing. Same thing. All right, back to the passage here. All that the Father giveth... Now, keep it in... Listen to the context. You have seen me and believe not. So right there is a... Jesus said he didn't come into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. But what he says is this. You've seen me, but you believe not. That is a condemnation on them altogether. Read the rest of John 3, past John 3.16, if you haven't read it. That's what he says. The world is already condemned because they believe not. Okay? And then he says this, verse 37, All that the Father giveth me shall come to me, and him that cometh to me I will in no wise cast out. Now, this is going to be repeated here in just a second, but notice what he says. All that the Father giveth me shall come to me. Now, many of you are familiar with the uh, concealed weapon permit stuff and everything, right? And you have, um, you have a must. They, they must issue it. You've got some that say it shall issue it, and you have some that say may issue it. So may is a a term of, of um, permission. Um, any of you guys had kids? Because my mom used to do it to me, and it didn't dawn on me what how she was really helping me, and I don't even think she realized it until after I became a Christian and understanding passages like this. But one of the things that, you know, the kids go up and they go, um, can I do this or can I do that? Or can I have this? Or can I have that? Now, what is the word can? Can is, an, is a word of ability. Can you do this? Can you type out this letter? Are you, in other words, are you able to type out this letter for me? Are you able to do this work on my house for me? It's a word of ability. May is an issue, uh, a word of permission. Okay, so we're going to see some of that in just a second. But here's the thing. He says, all that the Father giveth me. So the Father is giving somebody and some people to the Son. Okay? And just so you see it, those of you on the video platform, those of you reading your Bibles at home, all that the Father giveth me, what does it say? Shall come to me. In other words, they will come to me. This is not an issue of it might happen, it's possible. Nope. All of those that the Father gives the Son will go to the Son. That's what he says. And him that cometh to me, this is the ones the Father gave to the Son, so he's just continuing it. It's kind of like Romans uh, 9 there, the golden chamber of redemption that's laid out. And him that cometh to me, I will in no wise cast out. That's pretty interesting. Because if the Father gives you to the Son, the Son is going to receive you and will not cast you out. That's what it says, and he's going to reiterate that in a minute, too. For I came down from heaven not to do mine own will, but the will of him that sent me. So Jesus is not here to do his own thing. He's here to do what the Father sent him to do. And what is that? Seek and save that which is lost, Lost, give his life as a ransom for them, for his sheep, those he calls his sheep. He didn't give his life for the goats, he gave his life for the sheep, the ones the Father gave to him. 
And so he says, and this is the Father's will which has sent me. See, now this is exactly what I said. What's the Father's will for the Son? He's going to tell you. That of all which he has given me, I should lose a few, a thousand, ten thousand, a hundred thousand, a million, nothing. I should lose nothing, but should raise it up again at the last day. Friend, if you have been born again, if you've really been born again, and this is the catch. If you've really been born again of the Spirit of God, you are held by Christ. And those who teach that you can lose that somehow are saying far more about Jesus Christ than they are about the sinner. Why? Because Jesus said he wasn't losing anything. He works in those who are his. He pushes to make them conform to his image. And the Spirit of God is given unto them that they might bear fruit. Jesus said some 30, 60, 100 fold. See, when somebody talks to you about losing salvation, they're saying, well, Jesus just wasn't able to save you. That's what they're saying. I know they may not like that, but that's what they are saying. And yet Jesus said, I'm not losing anything that the Father gives me, and I'll raise them up at the last day. Hmm. Pretty sure word of Jesus, isn't it? Here's what else he says. Verse 40. And this is the will of him that sent me, that everyone which seeth the Son and believeth on him may have everlasting life, and I will raise him up at the last day. So he reiterates what he just said, and notice what he gives them. Everlasting life. Now, if it's everlasting life, how can they lose it? Then it's not everlasting life any, anymore, is it? It's something else. And this is a tough thing for some people to hear, and it was tough for these people here. Look at what it says. And the Jews then murmured at him because he said, I am the bread which came down from heaven. And they said, is this not, is not this Jesus, the son of Joseph, whose father and mother we know? How is it then that he saith, I came down from heaven? See, they didn't know the scriptures. They didn't know and understand what the Messiah was going to do. And so they didn't understand that it was going to be the Lord himself that clothed himself in flesh and came and dwelt among them to give his life as a ransom for their sin. They didn't know. They should have known, but they didn't. So Jesus therefore answered and said unto them, he's just going to push this a little harder on them of what he's already said. Murmur not among yourselves. No man can come to me, except the Father which hath sent me draw him, and I will raise him up at the last day. Now, before we read what? The Father is giving all to the Son, right? And the Son is going to keep them. 
and he's going to raise them up the last day. Now, Jesus says, you can't come to me except the Father who sent me draws you. Now, there's an interesting thing about this word draw. You guys might remember, I think it's in John chapter 21, where Peter uh, has kind of had it for the day, and he says, I'm going fishing. And some disciples go with him, and they go to, they go to, to fish. And they're out there all night, and they don't catch anything. And as the sun's coming up, they see a, a man on the beach crying out to them, throw your nets on the other side, and they throw the nets on the other side. You know, there's like, whatever. And it's so full of fish, they can't even get it in the boat. And Peter recognizes it's Jesus. And Jesus is up there making a breakfast. He's got some fish. He's got some loaves on the, on the grill, so to speak. And he just jumps in the ocean and goes for Jesus. And the other guys, you know, they're, hey, we got to bring in the fish here. They bring the boat. They bring the fish. And as they're pulling the fish on to the, onto the beach, it talks about them. They drag the net. That's the same word that's used here. It's the word for drag. We, some people want to say, oh, you know, Jesus is wooing you. No, he's not wooing you. You don't woo a dead man. And the Bible says that we're dead in our trespasses and sin. He's not wooing them. He's pulling them. He's your, what's that big thing they had in, in the original star? He's, he's a, I, I don't want to be uh, blasphemous. That's not what I'm doing. He's like the tractor beam. He gets hold of you and he pulls you in. Okay? He pulls you to himself. Why? Because the Father has given you to him. And he's not doing that with everybody. Just take a look the next time that you're around where somebody's preaching the word of God and you're sitting beside other people and this, that, and the other. Some people are affected by it. Some people aren't. Why is that? It's the spirit of God. It's not the person. It's the spirit of God. Everybody else is just dead. They're just dead to what's going on there. So he, he tells them. He drives it in harder for them. No man can come to me except the Father which has sent me draw him and I'll raise him up at the last day. That's pretty intense for somebody who thinks, well, I can just come to Jesus whenever I want. No, you can't. I had a young man, uh, after I became a Christian, we were working making uh, plastic parts, big parts for the insides of um, Freightliner trucks. And we were sitting uh, at the break table and talking about some of the stuff. And he said, well, you know, I always have that last breath. That's how, he, that's how he'd say it. He said, I had that last breath, and I can ask Jesus forgive me, and this, that, and the other. And I said, that's the most foolish thing I could think of. I said, because lots of people are killed not even knowing what killed them. People die in quick automobile accidents. People are shot without even knowing somebody's shooting at them. There's all kinds of people have heart attacks. And there isn't a last breath to ask for that. It's just, it's gone. Very foolish. Young man who was thinking like this. And I told him, I said, this is foolish, man. The Bible says today is the day of salvation. If you hear his, if you hear his voice, do not harden your heart. So, Jesus presses this on. And again, he reiterates that the one, 
let me let me go back to the passage. No man can come to me except the Father which has sent me draw him. And what does he say? What did he say earlier? If the Father gives you to the Son, what's the Son going to do? He's not casting you out. Is he's going to raise you up the last day? And he says it again. We'll raise him up at the last day. And then he goes to this. Remember, because the Scripture says that if they don't appeal to the law and the prophets, there's no light in them. And this is constantly what Jesus appeals to: is the law and the prophets. It is written in the prophets, and they shall all be taught of God. Every man, therefore, that hath heard and hath learned of the Father, cometh unto me. And you remember uh, Peter, when Jesus asked the disciples, he says, who do men say that I am? Some say John the Baptist, some say that prophet, some say Jeremiah, all this. Yeah, but who do you say that I am? And Peter is the one who says, you're the Christ, the son of the living God. And he looks at him and he, he says this. He doesn't say, uh, your mom and daddy taught you that, didn't they? Did, did the disciples teach you that? Uh, did, did the learned religious leaders, did they teach it? Nope. Flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my father has revealed it to you. He's shown you who I am. Just like he has shown those of us who are believers in the Lord Jesus Christ who Christ is. He has shown us. Every man, therefore, that hath heard and hath learned of the Father cometh unto me. This is the same things he's saying over and over. Who are the ones that come? The ones the Father gives to the Son. The ones the Father draws to the Son. The one that the Father has revealed who Christ is to. Do you see the pattern that he's laying down? And God doesn't do this for all men. He just doesn't do it for all men. Well, that's not fair, Tim. Everybody needs a chance. Everybody's had their chance. Can we all agree that all men are wicked, that they are sinners from birth, and they deserve justly the wrath of God upon their sin? Can we not agree with that? Can we not see that? Even my experience, can we not see that? If that is the case, then no man has the right to voice out and say, you're not fair for not saving me, but saving this guy over here. Why? Because this person who's, who's arguing that way, what are they doing? They're in rebellion against God. You're not fair. You're not right. They're casting a, a stain on the character of God while they're in rebellion against him. They don't want to be saved. They want to live their life, and they want God out of it. That's, that's what's really going on there. And it's only the person drawn by the Father to the Son who is humbled and recognizes his need of a Savior and desires it above all things. Again, we could go back to the, the parable that Jesus tells about the uh, Pharisee and the publican in the temple. And how the Pharisee stands up there in front of God and everybody and he says, Oh, aren't you glad to have, you know, a man like me? You know, aren't I most wonderful? Aren't I the greatest in history? Doesn't that sound like somebody, you know, um, all this kind of stuff. I'm not like that guy over there in the corner. I'm not ripping people off and stealing their money for the state. And yet the guy who had been doing all that, the publican, what is he doing? Beating on his breast in the corner. 
God have mercy on me, a sinner, a lawbreaker, a lawless man. And Jesus asked the people, which one went down justified? Was it not the publican? Because he realized who he was and he realized who God was. And in realizing who he was, he knows he needs mercy, not justice. He needs mercy. Because if he receives justice, he's done. Okay, back to the text. As they shall all be taught of God, every man therefore that hath heard and hath learned of the Father cometh unto me. Not that any man hath seen the Father, save he which is of God. He has seen the Father. And this is why, you know, when you see appearances in the Old Testament where people see, like Samson's mom and dad, they see uh, the Lord. They're not seeing the Father. I think they're seeing the pre-incarnate Christ. Because we've seen the Lord, now we're going to die. That's what they say. And you find um, the Lord showing up in different places. You, you, you find him showing up, giving the promise to Abraham about the promised child, Isaac. You see him showing up, leading the armies of the Lord and appearing before Joshua and accepting worship. And you see him in different places where he appears in the Old Testament. But Jesus says, nobody's seen the Father except the Son, the one who came down from heaven. And that's verse 46. He has seen the Father. Verse 47, Verily, verily, I say unto you, he that believeth on me hath everlasting life. Let me ask you something, friend. Do you believe on the Lord Jesus Christ? Do you really believe? Only you can answer that. No man can tell you whether or not you believe. Now, they can see the fruit of your life, of that belief. But only the Spirit of God can reveal to you whether or not you really believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. He goes on and he says this, I am that bread of life. I'm the bread, guys. I am keep reiterating this to you. I'm your spiritual food. I'm your spiritual sustenance. Your fathers did eat man in the wilderness, but they're dead. This is the bread which cometh down from heaven, that a man may eat thereof and not die. Wait a minute, Tim. Christians have been dying for hundreds of years. What do you mean? If they were feasting on Christ, if they were feasting on his word, if they were obeying him, if they were following him and believing in him, well, that's not true. Oh, is it? Hmm. See, Jesus clarifies that when, when in, in, I believe it's John 11, when he goes there to raise Lazarus, what is he talking about? He says, I am the resurrection. The one that believes in me shall never die. And the one who dies will live. And my friend Bill, the truck driver theologian, one of the things he says is, death is just like a doorway we walk through. We just, we walk into life for the believer. It's a door we walk into to life. And that's exactly what it is. And so Jesus says, they won't die. Why? Because he's the resurrection. 
Do you understand in Ephesians 2, it talks about the fact that we were dead in our trespasses and sins and what happens. God, who is rich in mercy, quickened us. That term quickened, it means he made us alive. You and I have already experienced a resurrection. He has already called us forth from the dead. He has made us alive in Christ. We have already experienced that. And then he comes on and he goes a little further and he says, I am the living bread which came down from heaven. If any man eat of this bread, he shall live forever. And the bread that I will give is my flesh, which I will give for the life of the world. Now you think about something. <clears throat> when you, if you've had to hunt an animal, if you've had to um, either dress it yourself or you take it to a processor to, to dress it for you, and you eat that meat, hopefully you give thanks to God for it first. But there's a, a sense in which that animal gave its life for you, so you should be thankful to God that he provided that animal and that that animal gave their life, and that you eat that meat with thanksgiving because it provides life for your body. Jesus is saying the same thing. Feast on me because why? I'm real food. He's going to talk about that in a second. My blood is real drink. And he's not talking about the physical aspects. I don't know why people can't get this, but it seems pretty clear he's not talking about physical things. He's talking about that which is spiritual. And he says, I'm the living bread which came down from heaven. If any man eat of this bread, he shall live forever. And the bread that I will give is my flesh, which I give for the life of the world. The Jews, therefore, strove among themselves, saying, How can this man give us his flesh to eat? And Jesus said unto them, Verily, verily, I say unto you, Except you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, ye have no life in you. Now, I know some people are getting grossed out. Again, he doesn't mean you start gnawing on his body, you start drinking his blood. That's not what he's talking about. You feast on him. His words, his truth. That's what you're feasting on. I'm going to go a little bit over. Just let me finish this passage. If you want to hear the rest of it, sonsoflibertymedia.com. Bradley will be with you at 3 p.m. Eastern, 2 p.m. Central. sonsoflibertymedia.com. And then we'll be back with you in the morning, bright and early, 6 a.m. Lord willing, talk to you then. See you. Okay, I want to welcome everybody coming over from Red State Talk Radio. And just want to, for those of us, those of you joining after the first part, we were supposed to have Danielle Baker on. For whatever reason, she's not come on. And so we're in John chapter six. So I wasn't trying to do a bait and switch on you. It's just we didn't have anything. So this is where we're at, John chapter six. So if you've got your Bibles and you want to follow along, John chapter six is where we're at. And we just finished with verse 51. And we're, or excuse me, we're going to, we finished with um, verse 53, excuse me. And uh, we're going to pick up from there and finish this out as to what the words of Jesus are. So he tells them, if you don't feast upon me, you don't have any life in you. You're still dead. Verse 54, whoso eateth my flesh and drinketh my blood hath eternal life, and I'll raise him up at the last day. See, he keeps going back to that same thing, doesn't he? 
He's going to make sure. He's not only the author of your faith, he's the finisher of your faith if you're in him. And he works all the things in the middle too. That's why we can go to Philippians and we can see it is God who works in us both to will and to do his good pleasure. That's all the stuff that comes in the middle. Okay? And then he says, For my flesh is meat indeed, and my blood is drink indeed. He that eateth my flesh and drinketh my blood dwelleth in me, and I in him. As the living Father hath sent me, and I live by the Father, so he that eateth me, even he shall live by me. For this is the bread which came down from heaven. He reiterates it again. Not as your fathers did eat manna and are dead. He that eateth of this bread, which is himself, shall live forever. Now here's where it gets tricky for some people. And I want you to see, do you fall into this category of people? Or do you fall into the category of the disciples? Listen to what happens. These things said he in the synagogue as he taught in Capernaum. So Jesus was not doing this in some back room somewhere, talking about this stuff. He was doing it where the people gathered to hear the word of God. He was doing it in the synagogue. And then he says this, Many therefore of his disciples, when they had heard this, said, This is a hard saying. Who can hear it? Yeah, it is a hard saying if you're hearing it for the first time. Like, I don't get it, Jesus. You keep talking about eating your body and drinking your blood. I, I don't get it. And when Jesus knew in himself that his disciples murmured at it, he said unto them, Does this offend you? Does what I said offend you? What? And if you see the Son of Man ascend up where he was before, what if you see me take off from the ground and I go back to heaven to be with my Father? It is the Spirit that quickeneth. The flesh profiteth a little, right? Is that what it says? Nope, that's not what it says. The flesh profiteth nothing. It's the Spirit that quickeneth. And who does the Spirit quicken? Whom he will, whom the Father gave to the Son, those who were given by the Father to the Son, those that were drawn or literally dragged to the Son that the Father gave. Those are the ones the Spirit quickens. The words that I speak unto you, they are spirit and they are life. They are spirit and they are life. But there are some of you that believe not. Now, why does he say that? Well, it tells us. For Jesus knew from the beginning who they were that believed not and who should betray him. He was completely aware of who was his and who was not his. The whole time. And not just Judas. He's one mentioned there. Who should betray him? But those, those that he knew that believed not, he knew them too. And he said, therefore, said unto you that no man can come unto me except it were given unto him of my father. 
See, this doesn't have anything to do about your will, your pedigree, what your line is, what your status is in this life. It has nothing to do with that. It has to do with the will of the Father. It has to do with the promise the Father made to the Son before the world was fashioned. And so when he says this, a lot of people get angry. I can just hear some people. Oh, you believe in that election stuff. Oh, you believe in that predestination stuff. Oh, get away from me with that. Be careful. Be careful. Look at what it says. Verse 66. This is right after that. From that time, many of his disciples went back and walked no more with him. Did you get that? From that time, when he lays down this message about men, look, let's put it this way. Jonathan Edwards has this, had this great sermon. We read it in high school. I, I, couldn't, I couldn't believe it when I um, look back on things. But in God's providence, we read it in high school. Sinners in the Hands of an Angry God was the title of the sermon. And if you go back and you read the guy who kept the journal on what was going on that night, um, Jonathan Edwards was known to write out his sermons, to intentionally read them sort of monotone as to not try to stir people up emotionally, but to let the Spirit of God use the Word of God to move people. So he's basically up there reading his sermon, and the guy who's, who's witnessing what's going on is talking about the whales and the crying out to God for mercy from the people as they hear this message. Absolutely incredible. That's the work of God, through the Word of God, through the preacher. But here, what happens? When Jesus lays it out and he says, this is the way it is, the people say, we don't want any more of this. We can go back to the Pharisees. They tell us how we can, uh, we can do our good works unto God, and he'll accept us. And we can feel good about ourselves that way. That's what they're willing to go to. We want to think highly of ourselves. And so they don't walk with Jesus anymore. And then it comes to the question for the disciples. Look at this. Verse 67, And Jesus said unto the twelve, Will ye also go away? Will you also go away with the rest of these guys? And Simon Peter answered him, Lord, to whom shall we go? Thou hast the words of eternal life. Where are we going to go for that? Where are we going to go for eternal life? Oh, man, do you feel it? Do you sense it? I, I sense that. Who am I to go to? Nobody else provides eternal life. Muhammad doesn't do it. Allah doesn't do it. Buddha doesn't do it. Satan certainly doesn't do it. Nobody has the words of eternal life except the Lord Jesus. That's it. That's it. If you don't get eternal life from him, you don't get it, period. And you only get it if the Father has, sent, has given you to the Son. Well, how do I know if I'm getting... Do you believe? Do you believe? 
Does your life bear the fruit of that belief? That's how you see whether or not the Father's given you to the Son. Do you have fellowship with the Son? Then you have fellowship with the Father. Isn't that what John tells us in his epistle? Yeah. But if you don't have fellowship with the Son, you don't have fellowship with the Father. So people want to make Jesus out to be a created being. You don't have fellowship with the Father because you don't have fellowship with the Son. Notice what happens. And Peter's right on this. He's not sticking his foot in his mouth. He's actually stating the truth uh, in humility here. Lord, to whom are we going to go? Thou hast the words of eternal life. And we believe and are sure that thou art the Christ, the Son of the living God. And Jesus answered them, Have I not chosen you twelve, and one of you is a devil? He spake of Jesus, uh, Judas Iscariot, the son of Simon, for he it was that should betray him, one of the twelve. Now, I can just see people, well, see, there, there's one that was chosen. He uses the term chosen. And yet he was lost. Well, is Jesus a liar or is he not? Let me ask you that. Can Jesus be taken at his word that all the Father has given me? I will in no what they will come to me, and I will no wise cast them out, but will raise them up in the last day. Is he telling the truth or is he lying? So when he talks about choosing here, the twelve, including Judas, is he choosing Judas in the same way that he chose the other disciples? Judas is chosen for a certain purpose, and what is that purpose? That he might betray him into the hands of sinful men. Some of you may not like the way that's said, but that is what's going on. He was chosen for a purpose, and that purpose was that he might betray the Son of God. To sell him out for 30 pieces of silver. It was prophesied. It was written in the Scriptures long before Judas was even born. In fact, Jesus told him, he said, the Son of Man is going to be betrayed, but woe unto that man by whose hand he's betrayed. Why? It would be better if that man weren't even born. But he was. Did that catch God by surprise that Judas was born? Nope. Did it catch him by surprise that Judas was a thief and had the bag? Nope. Did it catch God by surprise that Judas was undermining Jesus by going to the Pharisees to sell him out? Nope. Did it, under, did it surprise God that Judas went and led the way so that they could capture Jesus and betrayed him with a kiss? Nope. Did it Catch God by surprise that Judas wept over his what he had done and went back in and threw the money down to the guys who had paid him off and went out and hanged himself and went to his own place? Nope. Nope, not at all. Not at all. But here's the question. To whom will you go for the words of eternal life? Who are you going to go to today for the words of eternal life? Are you going to go to Donald Trump? Are you going to go to Joe Biden? Are you going to go to Allah? Are you going to go to Buddha? Are you going to go to somebody else for the words of life? Are you going to go to the one who is life? Who said as much, I am the way, I am the truth, and I am the life. 
And he also adds, I am the resurrection. There's only one person you can go to for life, and that is the Lord Jesus Christ. Are you still looking for a sign? Are you still wanting loaves and fish sticks? Is that what you're wanting from the Lord? Or are you wanting Him? Are you content with the things of the world? Or do you hunger and do you thirst after righteousness? The Bible calls you to repentance. It calls you to that. It commands you to repent and to put your faith in the Lord Jesus. And failing to do that is evidence you are not given by the Father to the Son. It's evidence you do not have everlasting life. But the Bible calls you to it. And I call you to it today. If you hear His voice, don't harden your heart. Cry out to Him for mercy. If you, I've said it before. If you genuinely want mercy and to turn from your sin, you'll have it. God is a holy and a righteous God who can't look upon sin, but He's also a, a, a God full of mercy for those who are humble before Him and who have a contrite spirit. That's what He looks for. Is that you today? Bradley be with you at 3. Don't miss that, sonsoflibertymedia.com. And then, Lord willing, we'll be back with you in the morning, 6 a.m., bright and early. Talk to you then. See you.